Welcome to our podcast, Regulation Matters, a clear conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Lonnie Dempsey. I'm currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Rickabenny and Associates Family Dentistry here in North Carolina. I'm on the CLEAR Board of Directors, as well as the current chair of the National Certified Investigator Training Committee with CLEAR. Welcome back to our frequent listeners. Those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, let me give a brief introduction to CLEAR. Um, uh, CLEAR is the Council on Licensure Enforcement and Regulation. So we are an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. Our podcast is a chance for you to hear about timely and relevant topics in the regulatory community. Today, I'm joined by several people. Uh, first of all, I've got Sarah Chambers, who is the division director with Alaska's Division of Corporations, Businesses, and Professional Licensing. Uh, Gina Fast, who is the executive director of the Minnesota Board of Cosmetology. And Adam Higginbotham, a deputy executive director with the Nevada State Board of Cosmetology. We're glad to have you with us. Welcome. Thanks, Lonnie. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. I'm glad oh. to be here. Excellent. Well, I, I do appreciate you all taking time to join me today. Here it is. It's June 1st as we record this, and uh, we are all dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I will say, you know, the regulatory community is certainly having to make a lot of quick decisions and modifications to how we actually do things in order to respond effectively to, to changing needs. CLEAR has offered, obviously, several webinars and a podcast episode that I've done before highlighting the regulatory response to the pandemic. Obviously, a lot of regulated industries have been shut down for some time. Today, I want to speak with our guests about the regulatory board's role as states and jurisdictions now start to reopen some of those industries, such as barbering and cosmetology, massage therapy, dentistry, among others. Um, I know I've actually been really looking forward to a haircut, so I'm pretty excited about that this week. But you know, we've all been involved with developing these guidelines for some of the professions that are reopening their services. And I know for us in North Carolina, it was a little different in that we, when the governor did his executive order, we were not um, restricted from our practice. Uh, you know, we were actually mandated to be open. Um, many offices chose to close. Um, some eventually, through the board's guidance, uh, did emergency only, but we finally started getting back open with probably a lot more emphasis on, on, on OSHA and CDC requirements. Um, but let me start, I guess, um, with Gina. Um, you know, how are things reopening in your state? So are the rules um, and reopening, about reopening, are they set by the state governor or by the board? And I guess following up with that, what kind of input has your board had in the process? Well, thank you. So it's uh, June 1st today, as you said, and today is the first day that salons um, in the state of Minnesota have been allowed to reopen. So it's, it's quite an exciting day that salons um, get to open their doors. And uh, we, uh, in, including um, with the opening today, there's also a limit of uh, the salons can only be open at 25% of the fire capacity. So that has been a one of the biggest challenges of the last um, couple days is the is establishing the 25%. So in relation to the reopening process, as uh, the salons um, and the executive orders were issued and continued to keep salons closed, uh, the board 
work to come up with, uh, we, were, we were hoping to release uh, three different pieces of information and that would be, one would be a guidance uh, for COVID reopening. Uh, a second document uh, would have been a salon manager or salon leader toolkit, which would be a whole host of information, websites, uh, links to videos, uh, to the CDC, to OSHA, Minnesota Department of Health that would help with um, learning how to don and uh, doff uh, masks, whether you're, it's gloves, and all sorts of different resources at the salon leader's uh, um, um, fingertips. Uh, the other document that we released as a part of uh, that timed perfectly with, with COVID is what we are calling our Stay Clean, Stay Safe campaign. And that is related, it's related to current um, existing laws and rules in the Board of Cosmetology for infection control, just released in a much more user-friendly format and checklist. So as we developed those, um, we were working with the governor's office um, and the administration to kind of see what this process is going to look like when we got to June 1st today. And so as, you know, the month of April wore on and the month of May came, um, it became more clear that the administration was going to take a, an approach that they were going to be publishing um, a guidance for personal services. So that would include um, cosmetology, barbering, uh, like tattooing, tanning services, almost any service that was considered a personal service. So uh, we are, are, are grouped in um, that document, which is was released by the Department of Health, um, our Economic Development Department, as well as our Department of Labor, in particular OSHA. And um, that document, the board had uh, little to no input on. So the guidelines in which the salons open today be at the 25 percent capacity that i mentioned or any of the mask requirements or any there's no restrictions on services but the um input or the the ideas for how to perform services more safely is all in the guidance document and it's primarily housed with our department of economic development that's very interesting well adam i guess um since you're also involved um, with the, the the board of cosmetology, but obviously in a different state, um, how how are those things been for for you guys? So with our structure, the the uh, governor Sisolak, the governor of Nevada, he created a group called the Leap, which is the local empowerment uh, advisory panel, and Leap along with the governor's medical advisory team, which is Matt they were the deciding factor of when industries would reopen. Uh, the final say was with them. Um, we were instructed earlier on to provide uh, representatives of the LEAP panel with our enhanced sanitation guidelines in response to COVID-19. Uh, we started working on our enhanced sanitation guidelines in response to COVID-19 uh, on the week, of, the week of March 23rd, which was exactly one week after we were told to close the salons. Um, we started creating the reopening guidelines, and we were referenced in the final guidelines from the governor's uh, state of Nevada phase one and phase two reopening guide, uh, guidelines for specific industries. And the Nevada governor opened up the hair and nail uh, service industries on May 9th. 
while the skincare industry and the schools of cosmetology, um, they didn't open until May 29th. Uh, but our enhanced sanitation guidelines were referenced by the governor and his uh, two teams um, in the reopening uh, guidance. Gotcha. Uh, now, Sarah, way up in the, the upper regions of Alaska, um, I think, you know, and coming from a different perspective, because I guess you're, you're covering, you know, corporations, business, and, and professional licensing. Um, how has it been different there? Well, um, aside from just the climate, we have 43 different regulations within our division. So, as far as um, you know, cosmetology. I'd echo everything that Gina and Adam have said. It's a little. Uh, it, it's a, it was a very similar sort of uh, foundational structure for healthcare and non-healthcare. Um, for example, when we uh, started reopening, the governor, who also, um, much like Adam was and and Gina were saying, the governor retained the the mandate power and all of the official rules and responsibilities um, that weren't already empowered to the boards came through the governor through these reopening mandates. And our governor had a, um, a package approach called Reopen Alaska Responsibly, and it was a phased approach like many states are taking. And as of May 22nd, Alaska's fully open. We're already done with all of our phasing. I think Alaska's been considered sort of the most open state at this point because we've already reopened everything. So those mandates, um, with a couple of exceptions, have shifted to guidance. So um, for our healthcare professions, which would include dentistry, which would include um, all medical procedures, nursing, chiropractic, and so forth, our, our healthcare um, does have some mandates in place, and those have really not been phased. Um, they they came out in April and have been clarified with part with the partnerships of the boards. So our um, 21 healthcare boards have all um, decided in in one form or another what is really. Um, relevant guidance that they can provide to the governor's office um, through our incident command center and health and social services and give that feedback on how to interpret those generalized mandates for their particular industries and um, we can talk we can talk more about that coming up but certainly there were certain medical procedures um, that caused more consternation than others, and um, our boards have really um, been instrumental in advising the decision makers on how to interpret. Um, we also have had huge struggles with um, PPE and getting enough testing um, supplies. So in Alaska, you know, you might, uh, many states have very rural areas, that takes on a new meaning um, in some areas of Alaska. So it's been really difficult to um, obtain testing supplies and that has informed our reopening um, process. Well, this has kind of led me to a really interesting uh, perspective and I, I think it'll be interesting to come back to Sarah since you guys have, have completed your phases. 
so uh, let me go back even back to Gina again so and and Sarah listen on this because I want to see if any of this stuff is, is familiar but like when you guys are, are now starting to, to reopen like cosmetology day one today for y'all um, what have been so far like the concerns that professionals have raised um, that you professionals that you regulate you know are they eager to reopen are they anxious about public safety or somewhere in between you know certainly here in North Carolina I kind of feel about halfway you know especially as we have start restaurants start to open back up a little bit you know some restaurants are choosing not to open up because they don't think it's financially viable whereas others are you know what chomping at the bit no pun intended how has it been for for professionals in cosmetology are they ready to open are they not where are they well, yes. So, you know, the state of Minnesota has roughly like 5,500 salons and about 33,000 uh, licensees. And, you know, the vast majority of licensees through this process um, have been really focused on reopening and, and how they're going to do this. I think the, you know, the individuals that the board has heard from are on kind of the opposite spectrum of we're not ready to reopen or we should have never closed. And so it's looking at how to kind of balance those ideas as well as to have them focus on um, the plans of, of how they need to reopen. And so the through the guidance document from the governor's office, uh, the guidance for personal services in Minnesota, each business needs to lay out a plan, which hopefully will help them walk through the steps of before they open their business, they need to make sure they have adequate um, masks. And in Minnesota, they can wear a cloth mask. They don't need to have a surgical disposable mask. They would potentially need a face shield. So there have been concerns of, of being able to obtain the PPE that is needed. Um, we have, uh, I would say more of our estheticians have been concerned about um, exposure in the types of services they do. Uh, we have continuously told them that this is a choice to open today. Um, they don't need to open today. Uh, so I think that, you know, the biggest concerns, and I kind of mentioned this in the first response, was the square footage. Um, I think that the 25% square footage was a little bit um, surprising to both the it came out for both cosmetology or anything in personal services as well as restaurants and um to be able to be the, the next component was how do i open my salon with only 25 percent of the licensees being able to work and is it affordable now even if i have all of the ppe and everything ready to go can i afford to even open my salon at this time so you know that's kind of been um, the biggest the biggest hurdles we've had in Minnesota. So I guess I'll follow up that question to you real quickly. So if um, you know a barber shop only has three chairs, are they allowed to open one chair? Um, yes. Yeah. So the we have gotten to know our state fire marshal quite well. Uh, this was this is a new <laughs> relationship we've we have formed with them, and they have been super gracious. They've actually come out with um, uh, a document that tells salons and how to do their um, square footage, uh, how to measure it, as well as they can round up 
So if you could only have like 0.75 of a person, that means you can have one. And the other clarification that had come out is that the fire code is only for um, clients and guests of the establishment. It does not include licensees. Um, we don't know how long we will be in what the governor is calling this phase. Uh, and the next, once we're through this phase, then my understanding is we'll go from like a 25% capacity to um, an increased capacity, whether that be 50% or something different. I guess it could always go lower too, but yes, you can round up so you can have a full person in. Um, we also have been hearing of businesses um, being open much longer than they traditionally would to try to service as many clients as they could. Sure. Well, Adam, how about in Clark County and, and the rest of Nevada? Uh, originally, the primary concern that we heard from licensed beauty service professionals, uh, it, it was their financial concerns. That was our initial uh, feedback that we got, which the Nevada State Board of Cosmetology can't assist them with that. We're a consumer protection agency that delivers testing, licensing, inspection, education services to mitigate the infection risks and malpractice and safety risks for consumers of beauty services. However, we did, uh, even though the majority of the beauty service industries wanted to, they were eager to get back to work, the reasons for wanting to get back to work were varied. Uh, we did hear from some that didn't feel safe uh, to get back to work, that they were uh, a much lesser group uh, in volume uh, than those that wanted to return. The board's role in, uh, in reopening, it was to provide the enhanced sanitation guidelines to the governor and his team so they could review how the beauty service industry could potentially return to work in a COVID-19 world. Um, from the agency's perspective of where our concerns were on, that, on the agency side, not from the licensed beauty service professional side, it was the disinfectant supply chain, making sure that salons had enough disinfectant uh, when reopening uh, resumed, uh, but we didn't realize we didn't have the uh, the concerns that we thought that we would have with salons without disinfectant. We were pleased to find that the majority of our salons had enough disinfectant available to perform the services. That's interesting. So um, I guess Sarah, now that you guys have been through this, um, you know. You've been able to look back, I guess, in, in, in the hindsight, the concerns that were raised by professionals initially um, did it turn out to be, you know, much, um, I don't know what the right word is, uh, strength to that. Um, you know, were they um, right in thinking that or, or, or were they handled well? Like, for example, what, what Adam was just saying, you know, where there was concern about, you know, not having enough uh, materials for sterilization um, and cleaning. Um, end up being okay. So, uh, what's the perspective now, uh, looking you know back in time? Well, we're still in that early um, stages of being fully open. So, I think there still are struggles, and um, especially in um, healthcare, the biggest concern that we face. Um, across all of our professions, whether healthcare or non-healthcare, whether personal services, were just that licensees wanted to do the right thing. That's the phrase we've been using, is people want to do the right thing. And whether that means do the right thing as far as what's the safe thing, like the, the right thing from a public health perspective, 
or do the right thing regarding just compliance with the mandates. And um, so that played out for our boards and our agency in doing a lot of interpretation that, um, you know, certainly like Gina and Adam have said, um, there are people who were ready to get to work and we may have some, and you know, enforcement discussions about folks who uh, jumped the gun somewhat on some of the mandates um, and, and weren't following them. And on the other side, um, you know, folks who were refusing to reopen because they didn't think it was safe, especially when we were in those early phases of um, 25%. And I, I love Gina's example of rounding up. <laughs> we had a lot of those types of interpretations that um, I was going back and forth with health and social services and our incident command um, asking, you know, is this, uh, like she mentioned with the fire marshal, okay, how do we interpret this? Is the fire marshal, the, the square footage relevant to our staff or to um, licensee or to customers? And then for healthcare professionals, certainly big questions about managing waiting rooms. Um, we have pre-screening criteria, which were a mandate and now have moved for um, non-healthcare um, professions move to suggested guidelines, but for healthcare, certainly are still required that um, patients have to be pre-screened, employees have to be screened, and really just compliance with all of these and interpreting them because people get a lot of information from a lot of sources these days, and um, our boards were finding that there was a lot of um, discussion happening in Facebook groups and in peer groups and industry groups and less, um, you know, fewer people kind of looking to the board for that guidance. And so we were really trying to strike a balance that was all over the place at times. Sarah, I guess that, uh, what, from that perspective, what have been the biggest challenges, you know, faced by your board, uh, like in, you know, either establishing or even communicating the guidelines to your licensees? Well, um, we've definitely discovered that our email um, systems need to be improved. Um, we need to be able to be to move more quickly. Um, we changed our policy during the, the established, declared public emergency on public noticing board meetings. That's been a struggle because, you know, most like most of our boards, we can't we can't move on a, on a dime. Um, board meetings have to be public notice. We have, um, and it's economy of scale. We're doing all of the same things that all states are, but we have probably. Um, much fewer licensees, and so we have fewer staff, and um, we really lean on our volunteer boards for um, guidance. They are the professionals, and so being able to turn on a dime, being able to lean on our boards, and then the technology aspects, um, getting things out on our website is pretty easy, but if industries are looking at Facebook or looking at peer groups or looking at industry associations and not on our um, website, then um, that shows some areas that we need to upgrade and change to become a little bit more flexible and nimble in, a, in this quickly changing um, 
you know, pandemic situation and emergencies happen occasionally in Alaska. <laughs> so um, the last one was a major earthquake and um, that was two years ago. So we're looking at some infrastructure changes to reach people where they are and um, help demonstrate the value of our, our board um, to licensees. Um, I've already learned a lot from, from Gina and Adam just on this call. Excellent. Well, Gina, you kind of touched a little bit about uh, this uh, on your last answer when you were talking about, you know, the, the, you know, the established sizes, how they did that. But, you know, have there been issues or I guess what, it, what has been the biggest challenges you guys have faced in, in establishing your, your current guidelines? Yeah, thank you. Um, as, you know, as I mentioned, the guidance uh, was developed and released sort of from, uh, from the uh, governor's office through his uh, cabinet level agencies. And I think um, the, the biggest challenges that we have been facing is, is uh, the, the board being able to be prepared to respond to questions from our licensees. And in that also includes, we haven't had enough time to be able to be prepared to respond to the questions uh, related to the guidance. And uh, as I'm sure with many, uh, with Nevada and with Alaska, the licensees uh, traditionally engage, uh, they, if they have a license with the board, that's um, the entity in which they're gonna communicate most of their questions to be it um, from unemployment to tax questions to mm -hmm. how do I get my law and rule book? They're coming to the Board of Cosmetology and then we help them from there on a traditional non-COVID environment. And I think what has been really hard for us is the guidance document uh, that was released has um, a lot of uh, interpretation to it. Uh, it's not, um, uh, licensees get to make a lot of decisions as well within it. And so once the document was released, uh, we were we were basically seeing it for the first time when it was released to the public. And of course our inbox was flooded and we were looking to these agencies to find like who has these answers because if it's not the Board of Cosmetology's guidance, we didn't feel that it was within our scope to be able to respond to what we thought the answers were. And so the approach we took is um, to, to forward, you know, the emails off to the different entities to try to gather as much um, information back. And we have created um, a single resource on our website that is trying to address the FAQs. And uh, kind of like uh, Sarah was saying is, um, you know, whether it's being nimble or the email system's not working quite right, uh, we also, just in the capacity of how many people are emailing us with very detailed questions, uh, we had made the decision to put out a single document and we're just referring the email to that document. And if your question's on it, that's great. If it's not, we're still working to try to get you an answer. But I would say that that's been our biggest challenge is that um, traditionally as the board moves through its operations, it controls a lot of the um, the process, which then the outcomes were very well versed in. And, and this one, we just really had no uh, ability to prepare. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I was really um, struggling with that. The Board of Cosmetology isn't servicing its licensees 
in the manner in which we should because we can't give them the answers. So I would say that, you know, the, the preparedness and uh, the, the time it takes to get the answers. Uh, and many times lawyers are writing these answers and our licensees need, um, they need practical responses. Not that they can't interpret mm -hmm. what, a, what a legal answer is, but they need a yes and no. They don't need a state statute to go cite, for us to go cite. So it's been pushing back to get them, you know, the answers they can use in their salon and translate it as fast as they can. Right. Sometimes they just need an answer. <laughs> well, Adam, how about you? Well, uh, Nevada started developing the reopening guidelines during the week of March 23rd, um, the one week after we closed. And we didn't experience too many challenges in establishing or, or articulating the enhanced sanitation guidelines in response to COVID-19 for our, uh, the licensees. Our operations, uh, it's pretty technologically organized. Our staff is diverse and knowledgeable, and we have local and national resources uh, that help the board develop these uh, the ideas for the guidelines um, with the Minnesota board being one of those resources that we reached out to for more information while performing or preparing our, our guidelines. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as we had the guidelines, we had a board meeting, um, and the board meeting, we emailed the enhanced sanitation guidelines a week before the board meeting was held. Um, so they could provide uh, their suggestions on those uh, sanitation guidelines. And there was an online form available for them to provide feedback to those guidelines prior to our board meeting. And 68% of the people who, had, who completed the form decided, I mean, they voted to adopt the guidelines without any changes. Um, we did make a terminology change in the, in the final document from the draft to the final, uh, which clarified that limiting blow dryers is only a cautionary step for salons and it's not a requirement uh, and we were able to communicate our enhanced sanitation guidelines by email and through social media to our licensees uh, we communicated in english chinese spanish as well as vietnamese we created the written documents infographics to with less words to better communicate with our demographic and we also created a video um, both in English, Spanish, Vietnamese, and Chinese to communicate some reopening suggestions. And on top of that, we even put, uh, we established a new team uh, that does health and safety consultations. This is a, uh, a service that a licensee can schedule with us and we'll either come out to their salon or we'll do it by video where we'll communicate our enhanced sanitation guidelines to them um, and be open for a question and answer session. And over 40 salons have utilized this service so far this month. And as people, it's just our way of providing some suggestions so they can mitigate the infection risks, the malpractice and safety risks, and uh, the uh, social distancing requirements to mitigate the COVID-19 risks as well. Well, Adam, I guess, what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned through this process? Technology kept us connected and available to the beauty service industry professionals and the consumers of beauty services. Uh, we're very fortunate to have the technological structure that permitted our staff to work from home and answer phones from home. 
All of our services remained available uh, with the exception of in-person testing services uh, during COVID-19. Another thing that we learned is the consumer awareness IQ increased um, and they're demanding clean and safe beauty services uh, in response to COVID-19. How about Gina? Um, what would you say the most important lesson you learned was? In, in some ways, it's very similar to Adam, but to a little bit different take is I would say listening to our licensees. Uh, many of these, uh, and I, I failed to mention at the beginning about the um, licensees' concern of a paycheck was first and foremost um, one of the biggest uh, uh, questions we had gotten. And I think that while um, unemployment uh, and going through the unemployment process is completely outside of the Board of Cosmetology's um, functions, we felt an obligation to try to help them get to the places uh, they needed to go to, whether it be the federal government or the state of Minnesota, and to continue to provide them the resources, uh, the websites, the phone numbers. So I think it was really just listening to our licensees and not just like sending them off to another agency, but hearing them, communicating with them, and uh, just just being there for them. I would say that's been one of the, the, the biggest components we've utilized. Um, we've leveraged social media. I, I think our social media is generally the second or third behind the governor's office in trends on a weekly basis at this point. Um, we just, it's just our posts get pushed out to so many people, um, be that the licensees or the public. So we really leveraged um, our Facebook messaging at, or Facebook as well as um, our website and um, our government delivery through our emails. So I would say that's been probably our biggest, um, the biggest lesson. And it takes a lot of staff to be able to do that. It takes a good team and a, a team that uh, is willing to as well partner together to create the same messaging back from um, any of the staffers that respond to questions. Well, that's great. Um, and, and Sarah, uh, let's finish up with you. How, what has been the most important lesson that you guys have learned through this process? Um, definitely collaboration and communication. And I would echo everything that Gina and Adam have said. Um, from the healthcare perspective, we initiated um, two new structures that I think were really, really helpful in getting where we needed to go for licensee interpretation of mandates. Um, one example was creating a board chair's uh, weekly meeting. And so all of our um, our healthcare board chairs, really all of our 21 of our boards were invited, um, the chairs were invited to engage at the same time every week for an hour. And the focus was really on healthcare um, so they could talk about different struggles, interpretations, understandings um, with each other. They weren't a decision-making body, so they didn't need to, uh, they were open to the public, but we didn't need to worry so much about the, the public noticing. Um, that group uh, really took issues like in healthcare aerosolized procedures are the big issue and availability of, of testing supplies and PPE. Our dentist um, board chair really coalesced a group of stakeholders from health and social services to the industry 
um, to to dig into dentistry aerosolizing procedures and where our other healthcare medical and nursing took a different route but also pulled together different partnerships from health and social services from the industry from the board of nursing from the medical board and um, our epidemiology section and, and these collaborations didn't exist really um, on a in a fulsome way before this and but now we have these deep relationships and almost friendships I guess between um, between these groups and another example was um, getting the board of massage therapists and the um, board of chiropractic examiners in several meetings together to talk about um, to make sure that their mandate interpretations were um, aligned and using a lot of the same language because often massage therapists work in chiropractic offices and we wanted to make sure that if a chiropractor was an employer that he or she understood the board's mandate on massage therapists and sort of that um, hierarchy of following the law and that massage therapists understood um, the chiropractic perspective but also what they were beholden to um, by the law and that was that developed some excellent relationships that I think we will be able to lean on in the future. Um, so it's a very positive, important lesson, and um, we are putting together sort of a turnkey what to do in the case of the next pandemic or the next public health emergency. And we'll be packaging that up for all of our boards so we can have some consistent languages and consistent guidance. That's, that's really excellent. It's, it's great that you guys are even looking towards the future. Well, I think this has been a great discussion. Um, so I personally want to thank um, each of you, Sarah, Gina, and Adam, um, for your time and, and being a part of this podcast. Um, it's, it is always wonderful to have the opportunity to talk with, about these issues and learn about what's happening uh, today in the field of occupational and professional licensing. Um, so I do want to thank you each for speaking with us today. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. And thank you also to our listeners. We'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. Um, again, thank you to our frequent listeners. But if you're new uh, to the CARE podcast, you can subscribe to that on a couple of different areas. Uh, we're available on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating or comment in the app. Um, those reviews help us improve our ranking and make it easier for new listeners to find us. Feel free to visit our website at www.clearhq.org for additional resources, as well as a calendar of upcoming training and programs and events. Finally, thanks to our CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson, our content coordinator and editor for this program. I'm Lyne Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again very soon.